Have you ever wondered why leading and influencing others is so darn hard? Are you sitting on the sidelines wondering, did career management change and I didn't get the memo? Are you tasked with engaging employees in ways that produce high-performing, inclusive cultures? If you said yes to any of these, then welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Here, I interview experts and other leaders who have broken the code and are navigating complex issues and uncertainty. They set goals for themselves, their teams, and their organization, and over time, close the gap between where they are today and where their vision leads them for tomorrow. Listen as we tell the truth about leading and career navigation and offer practical lessons that work for everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone. And today, afternoon is probably the right thing because my guest is in Athens, Greece. And she says it's lunchtime. Hi, Zoe. How are you? Hello, Denise. Thank you very much for having me. So the question today that we're going to talk about is this. There's so much about bullying in the workplace and toxic workplaces and toxic bosses, et cetera. And we've talked about what it means to have that culture. So if you're interested in that, some of the previous podcasts will tell you about that. But what if you're the person who is kind of in the middle of this, the target of this? Well, my guest today is Zoe. And she, as I said before, is in Athens, Greece. And the question we're going to talk about today is, how do you maintain your mental health or wellness wellness, when you're in an environment that is either toxic or unwelcoming, that you're being bullied? And she's reframed the word bullying, which I love. What do you do to protect yourself and ha- come out with a really good self-esteem about yourself. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So, um, Zoe, tell me, we always start everyone with, what is your superpower? Okay. Well, uh, I think I have three superpowers. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you about all three. Yes. The first one is that I can study anywhere. I can read the book, no matter how tired I am. You can put me in a train, put me in a in a very crowded area full of children, and I can still finish my book. I would say that the second thing is that people confide in me all the time, even without asking. And uh, that has helped me so much as a psychologist, because apparently for some reason, I can build this safe environment uh, without putting a lot of effort. And then the third thing is um, a trait in the emotional intelligence suite that's called organizational awareness. And that, that has to do with how fast and easy you can understand a new system, the inner balances, the inner dynamics. And I think that that's what actually helps me when I drive culture change or a, a culture transformation project. And it's very interesting because, you know, your background is, is you're a clinical psychologist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have a diploma in business coaching and mentorship, and you're also a PhD can- candidate, right? Yes, I'm trying. <laughs> we don't try. We do. <laughs> yeah, I hope, I hope my supervisor won't see this podcast. <laughs> but your your research is really on the psychometrics of co- corporate culture. Now, what does that mean? Uh, let's start with corporate culture for starts. 
it's important to understand that companies are systems. So the way uh, we have a family and this is an independent system that has its own principles, its own traditions, its own, its own uh, mechanics, and a friendship, a friend group also would have that. Companies have their own inner balances, their own in either uh, traditions and mechanics. So corporate culture uh, has three levels. The first level is what we call the artifacts. So this is everything that we can see with our plain eyes. For example, our dress code or our offices or uh, what we're doing uh, all together. For example, do we celebrate someone's birthday? All these simple things that are easy to see are the first level of corporate culture. Then the second level has to do with our ideas and our values. It's everything that reflects this company. It's what you're going to see in the website. And if you ask them, what does this company mean to you? And what do you think the vision is? And what are your values? The things they're going to tell you. And then there's a third, more subconscious level that has to do with everything no one will tell you, but it's actually there. And this is what runs the show. For example, if in a company, everyone gossips, it's not something that they would ever tell you. Right. If you ask them, they wouldn't even consider it to be part of their culture. They wouldn't even consider it to be uh, important. But then if everybody's doing it, then it might be even more important than their value and creativity because mm-hmm. maybe the marketing department is creative, but not necessarily the accounting department. Mm-hmm. While let's say the gossiping, pretty much everyone does it. So I would say this is corporate culture. Now, psychometrics is what we call the science of measuring someone's personality in a specific context, the traits of this personality, what concludes this personality. It can be extrovert or introvert. It can be, for example, more concise or it might be more individualistic. So these are this has to do with psychometrics. And what my research is focused on is uh, a way to be able to assess people's personalities in one corporation and uh, drive conclusions about their culture. So what's something that's really interesting that you found in your research? Oh, many interesting things. <laughs> but I would say that the most interesting and what always I find fascinating is that pretty much almost never people actually know their culture. So when you ask them and then you run a survey, the, the discrepancies between the two is always very impressive for me. That somebody can be even the leader of a company or the CEO or the founder, and they will tell you, this is our culture, but this might be so far away, especially when we're talking about cultures that have scaled. Therefore, in the beginning, you were five people, but now you're 500 people. Mm -hmm. All these changes. It's almost like when you have a child and then it grows to be a teenager and you ask parents and they will tell you things that if you ask the professors, it's not even the same child. Yes, yes, yes. Imagine that the same thing sometimes applies to organization. Oh, that's a great example. And, and uh, one, one who's had children, I'm, I was always going, who are you talking about? Because that's not my kid. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the things that um, I started this with was talking about bullying and you've returned bullying into mobbing. Can you talk a little bit about what mobbing is? Well, basically, and in a simple sense, uh, mobbing is how we call workplace bullying. We don't call it bullying, we call it mobbing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a little different from bullying in the sense that bullying can be blind sometimes. Like uh, children, they targetize someone because of something happened or because of they. Uh, they don't like them or they're different. While in mobbing, these things can apply, but also 
it, they might not. It might be just someone who works in a different way. And we don't want this person here because they're dangerous uh, when it comes to the status quo of things and the way we're used to do things. And we don't want him because he brings changes. So is mobbing is kind of a group of people. Like if you, the example you gave of one person no. comes in, works a little different. Maybe they're there to cause change. And then the group comes and says, no, we're not. So it's a kind of resistance or... It's not necessarily that it's that the bullies, let's say, it's a group of people. It can be, again, one or two people. But for sure, it's a public activity. So even if we don't have a lot of bullies, we have a lot of witnesses that mm. just stay there, notice, they know what's happening, but they don't help. And mm. because we're talking about adults and in a workplace, they have responsibility. They should be acting. So what does someone who is... I'm going to say the target. I'm not going to say the victim, but the target of it. So I'm different. I'm, you know, I do things in a different way or I just, and it sounds like it's something that I'm doing that is creating some kind of resistance or triggering something in the other person. First of all, how do I identify that I've, I'm, I'm the source of this? And then second, what can I do about that? Okay, for starts, usually let's uh, talk a little about the demographics of the victims. Like we said, they might be different in any sense. It can be the sex, it can be the sexual orientation, it can be the color, the religion, a cultural difference. So this is one thing. Then the other is that I'm just the new person. So they're not used to what I bring. Or I, for some reason, I'm much different from the environment. I can be more educated or less educated. But for sure... There is always a goal. When a person is being mobbed, it's because the other people, they want him out. They want them out of the organization. It's not just random. It has as a goal either for, for this uh, professional relationship to be terminated, either by the person being forced to quit or by creating situations that will lead to the person being fired. So this is the one thing. When we talk about um, a person that uh, is a victim of mobbing in the workplace, there are a lot of incidents and there are also levels. Uh, it starts with, um, usually in the beginning, it can be just when people are underestimating you openly and when they don't talk to you in a polite or respectful way or they put you in a difficult position. Then it might become even more degrading for you to the point that they marginalize you and they don't want you to work with them. And they, for example, push you out or uh, send you away from your office. And it can even go to creating rumors, gossips creating problems with your work, changing reports so you look bad, taking credits for your work, uh, even to the point of uh, open aggression. Not, of course, the point that it becomes illegal because then it's illegal, so company will have to act. But usually it's a line a little bit thin that puts a person in a very difficult position, but not so difficult that they can call a lawyer. But just, just before they can do that, so it's still a bit invisible Exactly. Necessarily. Okay. So, and, and there's also a lot of gaslighting in the process. So, if you actually try to stand up for yourself, they will say you're crazy and nothing happened. It's on you, and you are creating problems, or you want to always say you're shaking for attention. That's also very often, and you always try to victimize yourself. So, there is also a lot of gaslighting in this process, where to the point that the victim don't even feel sure of themselves anymore, and they start questioning their own experience and their own instincts. So there, it sounds like there's two components to mobbing. One, there's the person who is actually taking the action. And then there's the bystanders who are either partially engaging, 
or through their silence, they're okaying the behavior because they're not saying anything. Mm -hmm. They're not stepping up. They're not saying something. Is that right? There are, there are actually four components because okay. it's, it's like you said, the bully. It's like you said, the bystanders. It's the victim, but also it's the company because at the end of the day, company has also responsibility and they should be having uh, protective mechanisms for this kind of phenomenon. And uh, they should be taking actions proactively in order to help the employees, especially when they understand it's there. They can't play the agenda. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't see it coming. It's your responsibility to know. So in my opinion, number one responsibility is in the organization side. They should provide a healthy context for people to operate in. So this is really hard to do an investigation or to understand it because as you explained earlier, most people don't really understand this like third component of their environment. It's the, it's just the way it is, the gossiping, the um, maybe some of these behaviors we know, you know, Mary or Joe always is just like that. They just, you know, maybe they're just screamers. Maybe they're just individuals who degrade people in meetings when they get the wrong answer, those kinds of things. So that kind of happens and they learn to accept it. But when you go in to do, to say, so someone might complain and say, hey, you know what, that's not appropriate. There's this kind of whoever is the person who is saying, I don't think this is appropriate. There's almost this kind of, I don't believe you, or it's not that important. You're too soft, the gaslighting, that kind of thing in there. How does, how do you get the, organization or someone in the organization, because organizations are made of people, how do you get them to take it seriously and then conduct an investigation to understand what the behavior is and, and is it free, is how frequently it's happening? For starts, I will share an unpopular opinion here. And I would say that almost always they do know. They know. For just there are reasons for which they can't handle. And usually if those reasons are financial. When you see someone in a company that is like pretty or funny or, uh, you know, uh, uh, very fresh or they are very good at their job, then there's no reason to second guess why they're being there. It's clear why they're being there. They're popular, people like them. So even if they're not amazing at their job, still they bring other kinds of positive attributes. But then when you see someone who nobody likes or people avoid, uh, but they're still there. It's not because company hasn't realized. Of course they have realized, but these people usually hold a lot of uh, financial burden for this company. They yeah. are, for example, in positions like sales or business development, and they have a lot of clients that if they move somewhere else, they're bringing them with them. So almost always they know, they just don't want to, or they can't immediately handle. That's the mm -hmm. first thing. Now, the second is that, I don't think that any HR could say, I don't believe you. Uh, if they get a report, they do have to investigate. In most of the countries, this is the law at this point. So even in Greece, we voted this law last year. So they do have to investigate. But then you can investigate harder or you, you can investigate softer. And again, I would say that it has to do with how much power you have in every situation. Okay. Because you are an HR executive that has to investigate. And then you realize that the person who's mobbing your employee is a shareholder. Mm -hmm. How much power do you actually have? Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's not necessarily an issue of can I handle it or not, but how much the organization's agenda is going to be affected by actions. Oh my goodness. So that is something tweetable. How much, whether we tolerate it or not, 
is very dependent on what the organization has to lose by taking action. Oh, To the point of, I'll tell you something, it's not like I'm proud of it, but I'll tell you a personal example, that I was uh, consulting an HR executive in a company, and there might have been a sexual harassment incident mm-hmm. from one of the management team, who is also a shareholder, uh, to uh, an entry level of marketing. So she quitted, the marketing girl quitted, the entry level, and the HR executive uh, that I was consulting asked me, should I conduct an, an exit interview? I don't have to do it, but I'm pretty sure that's why she's going. And my question really was, but I was consulting here, okay, in another organization. Let's say that she tells you that's well, why she's living. What are you going to do with the information? Yeah. Do you have anything to do with it? To whom are you going to say it? What does this mean for the company? Does the company want to hear it? So when there is a big breach of values and you're not okay operating in this kind of gray zones, then this environment is not for you. And so that that is really the time to go. So it's I love the way you're making this much more of a go, no-go kind of decision. Because now I can see if I'm the target, I can analyze for myself whether there's going to be a reasonable solution that I can live with in this in this instance. Because I can judge how much power the person who is leading the mob actually mm-hmm. have. And I can look around and see, oh, wait a minute, if everybody is sitting back and watching and not doing anything, why is that? Because I've been in situations like you where people will know and I will ask them, say, well, if you've seen this, you've witnessed this, why don't you say something? And probably the most frequently quoted thing that they'll tell me is because I don't want them to turn on me. So Mm -hmm. there's a level of avoidance in that. But if I am the target currently, I can take my own power back and say, either I'm going to tolerate this or I'm going to counteract this. So let's talk about what if I decide that before I leave, I'm going to actually counteract this. I I realize that probably I'm not going to get a bunch of help from HR or some others. Are there steps that I should take? Is there words that I can say, say? Is there a demeanor, something I can do that will at least confront the bully? Well, let's start that if you are on the victim side, if you are a victim, usually this situation brings such an emotional collapse that they're not, after a while, they're not in a position to really stand up for themselves. And that's why this isn't something that makes sense as a, as a, like, Consult. It's like you coming to me and tell me I'm depressed, and I tell you stop being depressed. It's not obvious. It's not going to help you do better. So again, we need to step back and go to the company side because there are a lot of prevention measures, and there are ways. And for example, something very simple. Back in the day, big companies used to have these uh, boxes for anonymous reports. Now yep. it's more rare, but these still sometimes have service. So this should be implemented in every company. A, a way that people can actually express themselves anonymously when they have to face an issue. Mm-hmm. Then I think that uh, external advisors can also, for example, visit the departments and spend some time there, walk. These people usually are trained. They have experience. So it's going to be easy for them to understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. And of course, if we can manage to actually reinforce the HR departments, and take them from the side of just being there administrative and always put them into gray zones that they don't know how to act, but they're also afraid of the job and 
at the end, they just have to act on behalf of the management, but actually reinforcement to be business partners that are there, they have opinion and their opinion has value and they're not afraid and they have the means even to bypass the stand of the hierarchies if it's necessary for the good of the organization. That would also solve many issues. Because mm-hmm. back to the executive that I was consulting, if we weren't talking about a family-owned company and uh, this uh, woman had a lot of options in her life and we weren't also talking about uh, Greece, which is a very much under a slut-shaming culture where women still are being uh, slut-shamed all the time when they go in front and speak about harassment. See, we have so much more options to stand yeah. for your employee. Yeah, and to present the case in front of the management team and face their protections if she was protected. But at this moment, in the way most companies do it, basically they try to silence HR departments instead mm-hmm. of actually empowering the role. Yes, those. Uh, yeah, I, I can see that happening. And I've talked to enough HR people that they do feel like, um, even though they want to have more influence and more ability not just to handle these kinds of situations, but even other kinds of situations they don't feel like um, that they have. One of the things you talk about too, um, on some of the other things that I've listened to, is there's a difference between the issue of conflict resolution versus conflict management. Well, conflict management uh, is very popular and there. But it actually has to do with what it says, conflict management, which means there is a problem and they find a way because I'm very diplomatic, I'm very charismatic when it comes to speech, I'm very popular, so I have influence, to basically put up the rug, hide it under the carpet, is <laughs> the rug, and then when the, the rug becomes so big, it's not my problem anymore, probably, so someone else will stumble on it. But then conflict resolution is actually about getting the carpet up, taking all this stuff outside, and actually solve them. So if anything, I would argue that we have nothing to lose from conflict. We only have to win. Conflict is productive. And mm-hmm. we should be bringing even the smallest of the conflict in front because that's how we're going to create something healthier and a beautiful breed for the future. Mm-hmm. And especially when we're talking about long-term relationships like business relationships and collaborations, having a, uh, an open bridge of communication is the most important thing for the longevity of this relationship. And at the same time, when you deal with a conflict, the moment it arises, instead of just trying to manage it and leave it there for later, you have all the power to resolve it with dignity and patience, mm-hmm. which is very important. Because when I don't do it on its time, it tends to escalate. Mm-hmm. And even if it doesn't escalate uh, as a conflict, it escalates in my mind. Therefore, the second or the third time that something problematic happens and I choose to reply and respond, most probably I will overreact and I will overrespond because in my mind, I respond in the one to three incidents that I let slide by and not in the one particular incident that happened at that moment. And I won't be right. I want to go back to something you said. You said it has to be handled with dignity and patience. Patience implies that it's a process. Is that what I'm hearing in what you're saying? That talking about it one time is not going to solve the problem? That it, it is something that, because in many ways, I guess what I find is if someone is um, more forceful and, and acting and bullying and whatnot, whatever, they're, and it's not even that, it's all of our behaviors tend to be something that has been reinforced over a lifetime 
so that we see that it works when I do it. And so the same is true, I think, of people who act in a way that's toxic or bully. They've tried this before. It's not the first time they've done it. They've honed that skill. And sometimes they're aware of it. Sometimes they're not aware of it. But for the most part, it's honed over a period of time. So when you, when I hear the word, a way of dignity and patience that we should be trying to figure out how to solve this, it implies to me that if we go into this and say we're going to solve this problem, it's not a one and done. Is, is that what you meant when you said dignity and patience? Uh, this particular incident, imagine that someone is toxic and someone is bullying. Well, they won't, they will not stop. But then on the other hand, the majority, the vast majority of the people are not necessarily bullied and toxic. They just don't operate very well with boundaries because they're thinking based on their perspective and their value system. And they don't necessarily understand that we have a different system. So you need to follow the same process and be patient enough. You need to do it up front and set clear boundaries up front. Mm-hmm. And then be patient enough to see which of these people are just needing boundaries and which of the people are really toxic and bullies. So basically, if somebody violates you in any way, in the beginning, they might not even understand that they violate, unless, of course, they push you or they hit you. But let's say that you don't like uh, people touching your stuff. So somebody comes on your office and takes your pen and starts writing something in your notepad. Maybe they're just too extrovert and they don't, for them, it wouldn't be, uh, be important. So at that particular moment, the only thing that has happened is that someone did something that I didn't like. I need to address it. The problem is that most of the people will say, okay, yeah, I don't like it, but maybe I'm the peculiar one and it's not such a big issue. He just got my pen, so I shouldn't say anything. I will look weird. But then next time, this person might get your phone and then the next time sit on your chair and then drink your water. And that's when you're going to lose dignity. Yeah. Because you're going to be so mad from all these different incidents that scaled up to one big one. And you're all you're going to overreact. And at that particular moment that you start screaming and you say, I can't believe you're drinking from my water, this person might be, I was choking. Uh, I was going to die. I needed yes. some water. Yeah. Why, why are you doing it like that? So it's important to clear out the atmosphere very, very soon when we have a conflict, even if it seems small. If something annoys us, even the smallest of behavior, we need to address it at that particular moment. Yes. And then whether the other person respects this boundary or not, then that's on them. And that's how we are sure that we have to do with someone who is openly aggressive or toxic or a bully or just somebody who you need to create boundaries because you have a different value system. I think the hardest part is that I don't know that most people know or have very clear boundaries around them. So what you described is a very slippery slope of, oh, I kind of let them talk, handle my pencil and then the next thing I know, they're sitting in my chair or they're picking up my phone or something like that. And that's kind of a slippery slope of I got permission to do this, then it must be that. And so I, I think the first step for anybody is to be clear about what they like and what they don't like. And oftentimes what, ha- what happens is, is you're new in an organization or, or a department um, or with a group of people and you don't want to be seen as petty. And so you kind of say, oh, you know, they kind of touched my pencil or they they maybe they stood too close to me or they put their hand on my shoulder or they made a bad joke. Now, that's the that's the other interesting thing. Most people, they think that when we let this thing slide, we actually let this thing slide. But that never happens. If something annoys you even a little bit, then you're going to show it, but not in a healthy way, which means 
passive aggressiveness, silent treatment, body language is very common. I have my clients in coaching, they come to me and said, yeah, okay, so I didn't put the boundary. I didn't tell them that this thing annoys me, but I showed it. I said, oh, really? How did you show it? Mm-hmm. I said, oh, I was very upset, clearly upset. I said, okay, for what for you is upset? Maybe if I show you like that, I think you're sick. Or for sure, me personally, I would never think it has to do with me. I would think it has to do with you. I mean, it would never, my mind would never go there. So no, if you want people to respect your needs, you need to communicate your needs verbally. And this is why our society has moved from designing in rocks because that wasn't enough. And that's why we've developed all these languages and even more than 50 sign languages because we need to clearly communicate our needs with words. And then we can judge. Then we can evaluate. Did they respect us? Did they ignore us? But until I actually say with words, I have no idea. It's just a person who, as far as I'm concerned, probably they have no idea what's in our mind anyway. People barely have an idea what's in their mind. So I'm zooming. <laughs> I'm zooming that the other person puts all this energy to think what's in your mind. That's insane. I, I have a saying that I tell everybody. I am, I am not a mind reader, so don't make me act like I am one. <laughs> and all those who think they can read minds, raise your hand. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You're right. I, I do think that people believe that you can read my mind and my body language. And if I pull back, you know, first of all, I, I find most people are not even aware enough. Usually when they're talking and they're doing their thing, you know, communicating or being with you, they're in their head. They're not necessarily watching the environment for signals that I may have crossed the line of, of um, offending you or annoying you or triggering you or something like that. And even if they do, they assign some other story to it. They're not going to sign the story that you want them to sign to that. When it comes to mobbing, in order to circle back a bit also, uh, on the one hand, most of the times, like most of the times, it's not mobbing. It's just people that don't understand boundaries. So most probably, if you make it very clear, they will understand boundaries. It's not necessarily that they want to create a, a hostile environment for you. But let's say that you are the only introvert in a place full of extroverts. Yeah. Obviously, they're going to be noisy and they're going to tease you and they're going to touch you. And if you don't explain that you don't like that and you hate it, they keep doing it because it's their sense of communicating. It's, it's their way to show that, you know, they care and they want to involve you. So there's this case. And then there's this case that there is actually mobbing and you're being targeted. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, well, trust your instincts. Trust them. Don't ignore them. If you really feel like you're being targeted, don't spend your entire year or two years until the point you're burned out or collapsed emotionally by just constantly ignoring these instincts or gaslighting your own self or thinking that you're crazy or something might change. It won't change. Like you said, these people have experience. It's not their first time usually. Someone is toxic, they've been toxic forever. Mm-hmm. And speak up, discuss, talk to your HR, talk to your manager, to the person who hired you. Speak up. And if nobody hears, they won't. That's, that's your cue. You need to run. Yeah, it's time to leave. And don't be afraid to leave. Yeah, don't be afraid to leave. It doesn't have to do with you. When we're talking about that, I repeat again, because if we're not talking about clear uh, mobbing and we just talk about an environment that's in some way hostile or people are 
too aggressive or too competitive, then these kind of people are existing always in corporations. Yeah. So it's just the type of person that you'll be finding again and again. And in that case, you need to find a way to manage them. Otherwise, you'll be just changing jobs and again and again and again, having to face the same issues and leave. And you can't be always the one leaving. Okay. So to me, what you just described is I have weak boundaries and mm-hmm. I, or unclear boundaries, even in my own head, or I may not be accepting of others who are different than I am out of it. And I don't have that ability to flex in terms of other people. How do I start working on my own boundaries or my own self like that? What would I, what questions would I ask to even know that that's my problem versus the organization's problem? Okay. The first thing that I think is very important to understand is that at any given time, you have every right to ask for time to think. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's asking you for an answer right now, or if somebody's telling you what about that, if you're not sure about anything, the first step of creating boundaries is something like, I'll think about it and I'll let you know. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take some time to process and uh, I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. So one, if you're not sure what's happening, gain yourself some time to process. Okay. Then second question is, where is my interest based? In this given scenario right now, what they asked me or what they told me, okay, should I really do something about that? What do I want from this situation? And then the third question, is it really personal? Some people are just aggressive and some people are just completely rude and impolite and they're like that with everyone. So it's much different. When someone is like that with everyone, he's not mobbing you. He's just a rude person. (laughs) Yes, yes, you're rude. It's your problem, not my problem. So at this situation, you just need to think, do I even need to think about it? Like, do I have to gain anything? It's a job. It's a work. It's a work environment. It's a step in something bigger. So what do I need to take from here? Okay. Can I take it from this environment? Yes. Am I going to let this person quit? I repeat, it's not personal. It's just his character. It's a problematic character. Get in the way? No. I'll set my boundaries as clear as I can. And then you just don't care. We shouldn't put so much burden in things that we don't have any control over. And we shouldn't be asking for approval from people that clearly they haven't approved themselves. Yeah. So if you're, if you're waiting for someone who is constantly disrespectful to respect you, then you give them a power that they shouldn't have. Because this person just doesn't value respect, doesn't understand the concept of respect. So if you think that you're going to change them or that it has to do with you and that's why they disrespect you, I can argue that this is exactly what we talk about uh, in rape culture. It's like saying that if a woman is serious, then she won't be raped, which is just not at all true. Right. Rapists right. don't really have an agenda. Yes. <laughs> and the same way someone who is rude doesn't have an agenda and someone who is toxic doesn't have an agenda. They will be rude or toxic, whomever happens on that day to be in front of them. Yeah, and you just have to, you have to be aware of how they interact to understand that it's not personal. It's just who they are and then make decisions around that and and then engage in what kinds of behaviors that you can have with them. Because if that's just how they are, then they can learn to be different with you. One case is that, but also you can learn to be different with them. Mm-hmm. So it's not, nobody forces you to hang out, but you just need to find a place to work. And I can say, at least from my personal experience, but I think it applies to yours also and to most people, if we only work, with the people that are polite and have boundaries, we wouldn't have a, a job. Yeah. All of yeah. us would be unemployed. Yeah. You're not so going obviously, to sometimes just about you know not caring about this particular aspect of this particular person. 
if this person is like there to do a job, you just go, you ask the things that you need to ask. Even if they are there, you're like, okay, 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 can I have it now? Perfect. Yeah. There, bye. And you move on with your day. I, I hear that, but I think I think we have to we have to be clear enough in ourselves that other people can see that this is not how you treat me. And I, the only reason I'll say and the only reason I'm saying that is I talk to a lot of women who talk about men who kind of overshare or touch them or say comments or make jokes in their presence. And I'm working with the same person and I'm like, but they never do that with me. And I think it's because very early on, I kind of say, I have a way of saying without openly saying, look, don't be telling those rude jokes or nasty jokes or whatever it is to me. I think the boundary gets set with me where other people I hear, they do all kinds of things with them. And I'm always checking to see how I'm interacting with people. But I think when you're clear about what it is that you're going to tolerate and what you're there for. I'm only here well, to work with someone. When it comes to uh, sexual harassment and creating a hostile, se- sexually hostile environment for a woman in the job, well, usually the victims are very young girls, entry level, but they don't have the experience or the level to actually stand up for themselves and be openly set a boundary to someone. And usually this someone is never a colleague, he's always like a manager or a superior in any sense. So, of course, but the more experience you have in an organization, the less it happens. But then if you go back to when you were very, very young, I'm pretty sure that you'll see that you also had more comments like this. And the environment was more hostile in this sense. And that's why I think that... <laughs> I think ever, I came out of the womb early going, ah, yeah. that ain't happening. But, but I think you are right. I'm not trying to negate what you're saying, because I do think you're right. I think more inappropriate behavior happens when you're first in the environment, um, younger in your career or new in your career. I do think more things happen because you're still trying to figure out how you're going to show up and what's going to be acceptable and not. As well as I'm not always sure that, you know, I I think, I I know you mentor young women and you're part of an organization. The thing that I find and when I'm mentoring younger women is that they don't know that they can say no. They don't have a way of saying it that they're comfortable with first. And Mm -hmm. if they're uncomfortable with it, then they hesitate to say it to someone else. And that hesitation in the mind of the other person diminishes the importance and they can get sidetracked with, oh, you're just being too sensitive. And so I think some of it is a growing experience that you can step back and say, no, this is I'm not being oversensitive. I'll tell you, what I see is that uh, not only with the young girls that I'm coaching right now and that I'm mentoring, but also when I was very young myself, is that like we said before with mobbing, also with sexual harassment, you can't really say no because there's uh, usually there's not an open demand. It's just a situation that you feel very, very uncomfortable with, but it's always in a thin line that makes you very uncomfortable, but the other person can always call you crazy if you actually try to speak up and say something. And that's why the first step in this situation is to trust your instincts. Because historically, now, not just for me, but also my clients and my mentees, or my the girls, everyone, when you go back, it was never your idea. Yeah. Or, or it was always, uh, retrospectively, someone who was trying to violate your boundaries. Mm-hmm. And that's why we should be, one, okay, of course, to set the boundaries more clear. But also, I think that we should be doing that for the younger girls anyway, even if they don't speak up because most of the times they don't understand that something's wrong or that they know something is annoying them. But it's not like society teaches us to recognize these signs. About a year ago, 
there was a law in Greece voted about harassment, harassment in the workspace. And it's actually obliging uh, all companies above 20 people to have trainings about harassment and mobbing. And almost no one does it. And it's a law right now. And still almost no one. So if you actually go around in Greece and talk about what sexual harassment in the workspace, most people will tell you an attempt of rape. But no, that's not. That's, we, knew, we know that that's illegal. Obviously, we're not talking about that. We're talking about this manager that talks to you about sex and shows you stuff that you didn't ask for or right. unwanted attention or mentioned stuff or uh, comments on your clothes in front of everyone. These kind of situations. Yes, I, I am sure that we could go on and on and on because I had 100 questions even um, from that because I think that is, I love the idea of organizations when you have new people coming in, particularly young younger people, and this is their first encounter in the workplace, sitting them down and helping them understand how to form good boundaries and how to respond to when your boundaries have been, when you're feeling uncomfortable in a situation, what is the appropriate way of doing it? Because I think if you open up the conversation, then even those people who might be crossing the line because of their own habit suddenly can do a self-examination of, oh my goodness, I do that. And could I be violating someone or making someone uncomfortable in this particular situation? But I look at the top of the hour and, oh my goodness, first of all, thank you so much, Zoe, for all of the contribution and the wisdom that you have shared with us. How can people get a hold of you if they're interested in talking to you more? I'm very active on my LinkedIn, so feel free to reach out there. And I have a brand new website, so you can also find more information from me there. All right. And you know that will be in the show notes. Hey, that's a wrap. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. Please leave comments below. I'd love to know what you're thinking. If you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it, because I guarantee it's going to start a conversation that will help you close the gap. I want to thank the C-Suite Radio Network for hosting my podcast. It is the largest network dedicated to the growth and development of leaders worldwide. I'd also like to thank Ivan G. Hall for the music that you are currently enjoying. Hey, check him out. He's really a great musician. And finally, I have two other requests. One is, please, please, please leave a review on this, either on Apple or Google, wherever you get your podcast. And the other is, don't forget, please look up my book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change Results, One Conversation at a Time. It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble in paperback, as well as Kindle versions. And with that, it's a wrap. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.